0: To places. Thank you, places. It's time places. to exit stage death. Welcome back to another episode of Exit Stage Death. As always, I'm your host, co-host, co-ghost, if you will, Maddie Limerick.
1: <laughs> I love that, and I am your other co-ghost, uh, Emily Martinez.
0: And these are the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway musicals and Broadway plays. Just behind Broadway. and uh, I loved your uh, episode on Natalie Wood. It, is, it, it truly keeps me up at night thinking about it. And when you originally said you wanted to do it, I was like, yes, we have to. Yes, we have to. Like, just filled with rage. Filled with rage. And I will always scream that Chris Walken knows something. He knows something. He knows something.
1: Allegedly allegedly, allegedly. 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 I don't want to smear
0: the man's career. Or, you know, he, get sued myself. Get sued. Last thing I need is another cease and desist. Oh. <laughs> we
1: have so many already. We
0: have so I mean, I do have one from a certain magical company, but we don't need to talk about that on the air. Oh, we're not friends that with them later. right now. No, we are not. Um, but, you know, I thought we told, I told a uh, very kind of jovial Great white ghost story, if you will, from the last time, of from the Great White Way. Uh, I wanted to go into a story uh, that is truly based on one of my favorite musicals. Uh, it's There are many stories in this musical. I feel like we're going to be revisiting it many times. But it's one of my favorite. Not my favorite Sondheim, but it's one of my favorites. And that is Assassins by Stephen so, Sondheim. Uh, what do you know about Assassins, em?
1: Um, I've only seen one production of Assassins. Okay. Um, Aside from like bootleg clips or just like concert clips. Um, And it was black box. But I really enjoyed it. And I just loved all the stories of how they intertwined with each other. Mm -hmm. And it was before I really understood my interest in true crime and interest Mm -hmm. of like kind of the psychology of what makes people do what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just always remember Squeaky. Squeaky. Like, I Mm -hmm. always remember that and being Mm -hmm. like, like, as an actor, I'm always like, "Mm, I could play that role.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, you're an actor, but you also have like the ability to do character voice because you, you you know, I've seen you play Chrissy. So, you know, and she's a bit of a character role that, you know, you need a a more ingenue tone for. But uh, I mean, I gotta
1: say my, my, in my brain, like Chrissy from hair, um, is squeaky from
0: I mean, she becomes a Manson girl. She becomes Um, a Manson girl in my mind. Have you? Like, I don't think I'd ever looked up photos of Squeaky from before this. Uh, and how young she looks while camping out on the uh, steps of the courthouse when he is on trial for the first time in the red robes. It is, it's is—it's one of those where it's a story that we've taken for granted and we've definitely vilified this woman. Not saying that she doesn't deserve it in many ways, but um, yeah, it's... uh. Who we? Also, I'm sure everybody out there that is a baritone or a character voice actress, uh, kind of character actress out there, has had to sing "Unworthy of Your Love" at a showcase or in a duets night. Or you know, every everybody knows uh, one of a couple songs from Assassins, and "Unworthy of Your Love" is one of them. Uh, but also, like knowing that story of it with the actual story, it's really heartbreaking. Um, so.
1: So, Maddie, who are we covering today? We're talking about Squeaky Frome. Did we bury (laughs) the lead? (laughs) Yeah.
0: We're talking about Squeaky Frome, who famously attempted to assassinate president Gerald Ford. Uh, So we're going to talk about assassins a little bit and then get into the would be assassin herself. So by Stephen Sondheim, it originally opened off Broadway in 1990. And so this is just on the heels of his success with into the woods. It is a semi review style show. So the songs are kind of just the actor on stage telling their story because it is um, based around a carnival game called shoot a president and win a prize. And it explores About a dozen different people throughout America's history who have successfully or not so successfully in this uh, instance attempted to assassinate an American president. Uh, It includes notable historical figures such as John Wilkes Booth, Sarah Jane Moore, John Hinckley Jr., and several others. It was originally a complete and utter flop. It only played 70 performances um, and it would go on to develop quite a cult following as a lot of Sondheim stuff does. And it finally received a revisited and well-reviewed production on Broadway in 2004. Now, it's played several times to boffo reviews in London. The Brits love it. They get it. I think it is interesting, the idea of a very American story being taken out and told by a non-American people. But in many ways, you can tell a story maybe when you're not so attached to it. Um, I think that's, that's
1: really interesting.
0: And it's funny that we're doing this because they literally just closed a run off Broadway less than a month ago in New York. Uh, and they only closed it because of COVID cases in the cast. Um, so it was originally inspired because Sondheim received a script by Charles Gilbert called Assassins, and it was about a Vietnam War vet who comes home and decided that he had to assassinate the president for what happened, and the carnival aspect with the shoot a president when a prize game was there, and that is part of his kind of breakdown. And while Sondheim's version is obviously completely deviated from Gibson's script, he did what any good writer would do and i i think we can say sondheim's a very good writer um he (laughs) went to gilbert for approval to use the same title in the show um now gilbert god bless him was like yo you need a book writer let's go i'll do this and sondheim went um actually uh thank you so much But uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your gift and your energy. But uh, John Weidman's going to do it for me. Uh, And John Weidman had written Pacific Overtures with Sondheim, and would go on to write Roadshow, which was a massively kind of unfinished show that Mm. came out in the early '90s. That then finally got its footing off Broadway in the mid 2000s. Um, The score was written to reflect both popular music of the various depicted eras and kind of the broader tradition of this idea of patriotic American music and kind of its hold on this idea of patriotism Mm. and I want to focus like we've talked about on a female character who on September 5th 1975 attempted to assassinate President Gerald Ford during his visit to Sacramento, California and this woman is named Squeaky from so Squeaky was born Lynette Alice Frome to a fairly well-off family in Santa Monica, California in 1948. And I feel like a lot of times you either hear about kids that are super rich or destitute yeah, who kind of fall to these things. And she had a pretty normal life. And she did pretty well in school. She was very well-liked. Her father was an astronautical engineer.
1: Okay. Chill. Could find very, very chill. little
0: information on that, but uh, she was a professional dancer. As she grew up, she was with a very popular female dance troupe that toured the country through the 1950s and would even be seen on the Lawrence Welk show and perform at the White House, which wow. is a little eerie foreshadowing. Isn't it ironic? Uh, yeah, I even that found. Right that that, no, we can't. Um, It's fine. We're not. Uh, who needs to monetize, right? I mean, it's fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, I even found a. I'm going to share on all of our social media photos of from because looking at her. Completely changed how I look at her story. Uh, Because being a baritone, I always sang, God, I've sang Unworthy of Your Love for years. I didn't care that I was chubby. I felt like I looked enough like John Hinckley that I was like, put me in, boss. I'll sing to Jodie Foster. Um, And uh, it's one of the few songs that happens with multiple of these assassins on stages. She's singing to Charles Manson, he's singing to Jodie Foster. But um, it kind of changed how I looked at that aspect of the song as well. Um, And in 1963. Uh, Her family moved and Frome found herself suddenly in the path of drugs and alcohol, which was happening to a lot of kids in California during this time. And while she was able to finish high school with fairly good grades, she would attempt college and drop out. And at that point, her father would not have any of her shenanigans, her addiction. And he completely threw her out and she found Mm -hmm. herself as homeless, which is awful. You know that you know as a queer person myself and as you know yourself uh, Mm -hmm. too that it's like that idea of throwing your kids out for any reason now is just so sad and it's honestly the next moment and it's uh, it was hard to not find a lot of research that wasn't dramatized in some way because her life is sensational it is dramatic um but it is also really sad and we have to remember there is the woman here that uh you know experiences a lot of trauma and i don't want to call it grooming but like Grooming. There's a lot of things oh. that you know, it's a cult. There's a Absolutely. cult trauma here. Um, and so she immediately moved to Venice Beach, because that is where if you didn't go to San Francisco during this time, you were going to Venice Beach. And mm-hmm. she was like living on the beach after being thrown out. And it was said this is the same story reflected in a couple places, but it, it it seems a little too movie to be true, but I like the movie version of things, so we're gonna go with it. So she was sitting lost and Not sure what she was going to do, no money, anything, sitting on the curb of a bus stop, watching the buses coming and going. And off that bus walked Charles Manson, literally just released from prison as he was put on that bus for the first time uh, for coercion and attempted battery and things like that. And after a small interaction, it was said that he looked at her and said, let me guess your parents threw you out.
1: Oh, I bet that's absolutely true.
0: In that moment, she thought he was a psychic. She could see into his eyes. Now, we've all seen pictures of Charles Manson, but if you're looking at like young Charles Manson, mm-hmm. he's not not handsome, but like he has the most giant animated eyes. And so yeah. I, I imagine feeling totally lost. This kind of cute, scruffy guy walks up immediately lays your life out for you in one sentence and you look into his eyes and she thought he was psychic.
1: She was so desperate. I'm sure. I mean, anyone that enters into like what I'm sure people listening to this will know about Manson, the, just the, the cult, the family he created, his Mm -hmm. whole thing was about creating family, Mm -hmm. which it's like, if bad things hadn't happened, is there that much wrong with it? Aside from like, you know, consent and things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, no, you know, you're creating community, you're, creating, you're trying to create a safe space, mm-hmm. which I think is was hopefully at least what these women were hoping mm-hmm. that they were finding. And it's like when you're thrown out and you have nothing, especially back then when there's no resources, there's no mm-hmm. Venmos, there's no GoFundMes, there's just what do I have to do for survival? And your survival yeah. brain kicks in and you're like, I need to find my pack.
0: Where's my pack? Mm-hmm and uh something i didn't realize, she was the second member of the family oh the second so she helps him build this family her and uh sandra good who she would go on to continue to be, like have as an aspect of her life for the rest of her story um and no so wonder. She, no
1: wonder she was she so followed him like
0: a lost puppy from that bus station and that is when she became the like second and third member of the manson family and he had just been in federal prison Uh, And they started the group known as the Manson family. Now she found her, she found her groove with the family on the farm. There were two farms that they used. um, And she just, she really believed in his philosophies and his ideas. Now I'm going to put a couple YouTube videos on our social media of Manson talking. Now, again, I don't condone or support anything, but early on, Again, I understand how he developed a following and an even bigger following after he actually went to prison the second time when he is constantly on television and being watched, um, you know, outside of the extremism because he is for anybody that was lost and confused and lonely and also anybody that was like wrapped in like acid use, LSD use, when you feel your brain has been opened, Mm -hmm. you do feel that this man is so beyond the the squares and kind of what the government is telling you. And so it's, it's really intense but I totally understand why she was able to fall so head over heels into this family also because she was probably getting support in a way that she had never had support from her own family you know so it's I just mean,
1: yeah the generational divide back then like you've got parents for the most part who have just survived um the holocaust or like the time of the holocaust so world war 2 maybe even world war 1 um survived the depression Mm -hmm. and so like there's a hardness to the you know the quote-unquote greatest generation and then this group of human beings that they're raising Mm -hmm. in a time where like people are trying to open their minds trying to open their perspectives feminism is happening um you know we've got um the civil rights happening we've got all these things of people finally standing up for themselves when they're like i'm not taking it anymore And so when you have someone who's catering to those specific needs in a very Mm -hmm. charismatic and, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, really theatrical way of doing it, and you're searching for someone to just get you on that level, Mm -hmm. and this person is saying, we're family, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I lived back then, I'd probably, I hate to say it, but, like, I might fall for it too. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're searching and searching and searching for your group, how could you not fall for something like that?
0: Oh, like I know that like as a young queer person, I would have absolutely ended up in a city like New York or a mm-hmm. uh, Southern City and like been a sex worker on the street. Like I know that is an aspect of what would have happened to me. Like I just know. And what what is a, sh- a shame looking back at this time when like Manson was getting constant coverage and was still somehow getting a. a positive spin on it you did have the people that were struggling for the civil rights campaign who were constantly mm-hmm. not getting as much time or media attention or more all being pasted as in lambasted as just the worst people and so it's because this yeah. is that time where like it's just pre-vietnam war we are seeing Uh, constant news cycles of war for the first time on television. You're watching protests, you're watching all of this happen. Mm -hmm. Like we all can watch it now and understand uh, aspects of it, but I can't understand existing during that time and watching it happen in real time for the first first time. time, especially after the 1950s were a literal 10 year heyday period for Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also got to say, every time you say they were a family, this is why any workplace I work in the moment someone's like, we're a family, we're together here. And I go, no, that is <laughs> literal cultist, traumatic that's thought so it's true. reprogramming and I don't fu- I cannot fucking stand it. Oh it's like we're family here, that. and it's like, no, that means you're gonna abuse the fuck out of me. So just stop. Your corporate <laughs> pizza parties will not save that day. <laughs> I choose my family. Thank you. It's true. As queer people, we get to choose the people that we get mad at every day and then yell out on <laughs> Snapchat. Um and then get drunk with brunch at. It happens. It's fine. Like literally,
1: uh, like that's so funny <laughs> that you say that because literally, like family should by definition mean unconditional love where yes. when a, when a job says we are family, you're like, it's, that is literal transactional love.
0: <laughs> yeah, And while, you know, we can also say that like the Manson family was super, uh, love with stipulations. Everybody kind of mm-hmm. jumped on board with it because they did believe in what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's, uh, so I kind of combined a lot of what happened over the next time, because I think every true crime show at this point has covered the Sharon Tate murders and we've covered the Manson murders. And so like over the next four years, they Manson and several family members would be found guilty of several murders, but from it is insane. She always seems to slip through the cracks. And so like, she'll be taken in, she'll be questioned, but she's like, never actually there when any of the murders happen and we would see this again. So through, but I think it's also because like Manson knew it was coming and they were working towards this thing and mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily, you know, it was targeted, but it wasn't always. And so I think it's, you know, from was still kind of on her own, but um, to kind of do as she will. But, you know, I do think it is interesting that his two biggest supporters were not, there, when any of the murders happen, and that is. Uh, Just like him. <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, he is found very guilty. Oh, um, yeah. But and he didn't so... actually,
1: did he actually perform any of the.
0: I don't think so. I don't actually think think so. But like, why would you as a cult leader? Let everybody else take the fall for you. Um, But I think it was, it was really the, the murder trials for Sharon Tate and the LaBiancas Mm -hmm. were so televised. And that is when we see Manson with the X, the cross, etched into his forehead. It's when the followers start doing that. It's when the media starts seeing, and Americans start seeing, live reports of his supporters for the first time. Now, Frome would camp out on the courthouse steps every day. She would preach his apocalyptic teachings to the media, to anybody who would listen. And she always uh, avoided um, involvement um, in the murders, but also, like, she... Avoided involvement in the court trials as well. Now, because of this, she would be found contempt. Uh, she guilty of contempt of court because she wouldn't testify, and she was found guilty of, of like um, negligent uh, intimidation because several like she was sent out to stop several of the witnesses from testifying, including putting LSD into hamburgers and feeding them to people. Um, Because they didn't quite know who she was. Um, And also, again, this is when we need to look at the photos of her. She looks like a 16-year-old girl Mm -hmm. in an oversized, like, think the Handmaiden's Tale kind of style red cloaks. Because this is, he had, like, formed his new religion. This was, like, his cult days. Like, he had gone from just, like, the Manson family to this idea of the cult. And so they're wearing the red robes. They had been given new names. All of these things, uh, like, moving towards him being found guilty, him being imprisoned. Um, And so she did serve a bit of jail time for those things. Uh, But again, it's the intimidation toxics of giving someone LSD laced hamburgers. So they wouldn't uh, say that they witnessed the Tate murders. Now, what's funny about that is, is I feel like if you go to, like, a gay ayahuasca resort now, like, that is, like, something you're going to pay $10,000 for a weekend for a shaman to give you an LSD hamburger and, like, uh, go on some journey. And but like it's you know, just,
1: like, a very specific manifestation just
0: for yourself. Yes. You're going you to vomit for 48 hours in a, in a mud hut. You're going to see God. Your body will die for 42 and a half seconds, but we will revive you. Um, and you're going to feel so detoxed. Like maybe you're going to feel so good. It's I'm looking out for you, boss, babe. We're looking out for you.
1: Look, and all and, you need to do is an entrance fee of $10,000.
0: Is that it? That's nothing.
1: It's an investment in
0: yourself. Oh, uh, why are you the money? <laughs> but that's also another situation of it's so easy for, I'm, I'm shocked. We have not gotten a docu series about squeaky from yet. Um, again, we're going to get to it. Did you know she's still alive in living in mm. like with people in public? Um, she I has, have no idea. She changed her name? Yes. Okay. Um, but she's still very upfront about who she is. People know who she is. Um, I wonder
1: if she like.
0: She lives in New York.
1: Shut up. I don't know why New York City made me be like, I'm going to visit her, Maybe, but I'm right. not.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, we're going to get there. but um.
1: But I wonder, I wonder if she like hasn't. Number one, I wonder if she's like, I own the rights to my story, and she probably just won't give it to anyone for maybe either a fee.
0: I'm I'm also like, thinking people want to give a little time, because Manson didn't die that long ago. Mm-mm. And so I'm wondering, because also, like, everybody involved is still alive. It was less than 50. It was only about 60 years ago. So, like... And it's, it's still
1: like you. If you talk about those murders, like it, they are so gruesome that it's everyone.
0: Like, it's still the, fresh. It is one of the few. Like anytime the Sharon Tate murders are brought up, I so I get rich. a little nauseous. I get sick. That's why it was a little hard. It's one of those things. It's so interesting though to talk about like the idea of women in aspects of the crimes of men and how they're involved in like how how we talk about squeaky without Manson but like they are so intrinsically involved with each other mm-hmm. but she was still her own party kind of her own movement going forward so it's it's just strange but
1: it's like how do we how do we disconnect the idea of like true brainwashing mm-hmm. from like it w- I mean would the word would the phrase like body autonomy like because like she had the choices to do what she did
0: well, and she yeah, obviously like, was not involved in the murders as in making them happen. True, I'm true, sure. true, true, You know, oh, I mean, right. it's, you know, but it is, but it is one of those things that like, you don't, you're not that involved with the family like that and not know that something's happening.
1: I mean, yeah, it's like an accessory at that yep. point, right?
0: Yep. Well, and that's the thing is they just could not find her guilty at any point. Yeah. They tried. It is so interesting to like watch them try to get her. And it's like.
1: I'm sorry. I don't know if you can hear. My dog is good. snoring like crazy. So if you oh, hear it baby. in the audio, <laughs> she's just
0: like I love she's... it. Listen, I think dog. I think pets and true crime just belong together. It's fine. <laughs> Got um, it. But it was like here. the couple of the the lambastas that were were murdered. That like. It's so interesting that she chose just those days to not be at either of the farms and go visit mm. and have someone with her and have somebody that could cooperate her location at all times and be seen and like take public travel and things. And so Manson is found guilty and he is moved to Sacramento's Folsom Prison in Sacramento, California. Where he goes, she shall follow. So along with fellow follower, Sarah Good, From moves into a small apartment in Sacramento so that she can be near Manson. And this is where she would stay until 1973, which is really kind of the next time that we start seeing from her again. And in 1973, kind of the remaining members of the family, along with a lot of new members, because the thing is the Manson family grew, his cult grew, people from all over the world and the country came to California to be near him, to follow him. Um, And he had a long running ties to the Aryan Brotherhood. It very much relied into the eugenics of what he taught, into kind of the thoughts of where he spoke, which is again, obviously where I do not agree with any of what he taught. And so this is where they plan, they come together with members of both groups and um, it leads to the deaths of James and Lauren Willett. Um, but again, Frome, like before, is able to prove that she's not around, that she is not knowing. Um, and again, it it seems with these murders because they had a small child. The child was being taken care of, was in the compound. James. Uh, it is said by almost everyone involved that Lauren was not meant to die. She, James, was going to die. I'm not. Again, I could not look much further into it because it is again a very difficult murder to look into but again it's also been exhaustively covered by a lot of other uh, true crime shows even to the point of that they knew what was going to happen and lauren was found in a shallow grave with her hand still sticking above the dirt and the baby was being well taken care of by the women of the family in the the farm so like you don't take care of a baby from a family that you're purposely killing in cold blood for no reason. So, But like before, again, Frome was able to prove that she wasn't around during the times of the murders, that she wasn't directly involved with them, that she didn't know, quote unquote, they were happening. So they were able to hold her because again, she was a key member, but after two and a half months of custody, she was considered not involved and was released and was just living. And talk about a cat with nine lives. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's a great analogy. She, after all of this, she found her way back to Sacramento with good, uh, as one does, while Manson uh, would move to prisons. Um, This is really where his religion took off. Um, They were renamed uh, uh, Devotee Red, Devotee Blue. Uh, They started wearing those robes more often. She thought she was working towards good. And... It's really misguided, but where you look at where Frome was centering herself around the like spirit of California, her focus was on like, so this is the late 60s, this is the middle of the 70s. So we have the gasoline crisis, pollution is at an all time high, California is brown and gray, all of their natural resources are being depleted, all the redwoods are being chopped down. And because she was Sister Red, she felt Connected to the earth. She was named after the red sequoia, the giant red trees. And so she, everything she fought for was, they would probably consider her now an eco terrorist, but like what she was doing was in the name of protecting the natural resources and natural landscape of the state of California for future generations, which is something no one ever talks about. And again, yeah. it's one of those things when like you can be doing good, but be really fucking misguided in how you're trying to do good.
1: <laughs> you're just really bad at it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so the current governor, though he was a Democrat, didn't fucking care. Nobody cared. And so she was just screaming constantly about current laws that were getting voted and were just literally going to be destroying the state. And so she was desperate to speak to someone who she thought would have the power to change the governor's mind and not have these laws voted. And Gerald Ford, who might I add, became president because John F. Kennedy was murdered, <laughs> was up for reelection after he had been made president after the assassination. Uh, and he's a Republican. Mm. We, I feel like most people know Squeaky Frome because she tried to kill the president, but we don't know actually the story behind it. And I will not... I'm, I'm going to preface this for any FBI agents listening. I do not <laughs> encourage going out and murdering any president. But as we tell this story, I'm even realizing that the story I know is not the actual story of what happens to her and what happened. So this Mm -hmm. next little bit is going to be a little different than I think what a lot of people know. And I was shocked when I was researching this. And so,
1: and we never will know until if she ever decides to tell her side of the story. And will that even be the truth? Who knows?
0: It's true because that's also like I can't fucking trust her. Like she's, you know, she's a part of people that like had people murdered. Like she sides with the Aryan Brotherhood. We just can't. You know, can we trust either party? No, but it is one of those things that when we're looking at the work that she was trying to do, and it is like a lot of now, like look what's happening in a lot of states when we're literally like women's reproductive rights are being rolled back, trans Mm -hmm. protection rights, queer protection rights are being rolled Mm -hmm. back. There are states where like black people can still be gunned down in the streets and nothing go wrong. So it's one of those things. It's like you are so desperate for change for that one thing that you're working for. You're kind of do something so desperate to kind of get there. And so... Ford only comes to California because he is starting this idea of campaigning towards reelection. And there's this lobbyist group. It's kind of all the giant business owners, lobbyists, people that fund the government of California essentially have this like Speech breakfast like it 's this thing where there 's like you know everybody had a pancake and two cigarettes and some gin, called it a morning breakfast, and then just talked at each other for hours and so because the newly re- the newly elected democratic governor of California turned down the invite, the people running the event got really petty and invited Republican presidential nominee and current president Gerald Ford to speak. It becomes widely known that he is going to be in town on the morning of september 5th squeaky farm wakes up takes her 1911 military issue cult m191111 pistol and she <laughs> was going to plead with the president and if he wouldn't listen she was going to do what she had to to bring change so on that morning we're just going to change scope a little. Uh, On that morning, President Gerald Ford, who was a Republican, was invited to speak uh, at Sacramento's most uh, influential business owners gathering uh, because the governor declined. Ford saw this simply as getting more footing and being able to take California with his reelection. because, as we know now, California is an incredibly important state to have. He left the host breakfast and was headed from there right across the street to the Capitol building. Like literally hundreds of feet, 200 feet, a young woman still looks breathtakingly young, steps out of the crowd. She is clad in a red, uh, in in her red cloak. He, everybody sticking their hands out. He thinks uh, uh, a hand is stuck out and a mere two feet away, he realizes that a gun has been leveled with the center of his body. Mm. Now she says it's not going to go off because she wanted him to listen. She wanted to hold him there just for a few minutes so she could, plead her point to him before going to the the capitol building police and secret service determine they are determined that they heard a metal click come from the gun and she was quickly detained and taken down by secret service people act like this is a catastrophic event it happened in a mere 15 seconds from the moment he stepped up she pulled the gun out tried to speak with him she was taken down Again, several witnesses insist that there was a metal click, uh but the gun when it was investigated, all ammunition was stored in the magazine which takes time to get cocked and pulled up into the chambers of the gun, specifically this gun. And when they looked into the two chambers where the bullets would be, there was nothing. So even if she had pulled the trigger, she would have had to do it several times and cock it before a a a bullet would be loaded into the barrel of the, the handgun. And so there's no way it would have ever fired. And she would later go on to say, uh, as she went to trial that she had zero intentions of hurting him, that that was not what she did. So she actually emptied the bullets from the chamber of the gun onto the floor of her apartment. And when police go to investigate her, they found them laying on the floor of the depart of the apartment where she said they were. I, this is, this is where I feel like we've all heard this story, but I've never heard this version of the story before. And, and it's one of those things that like, again, you and I said, we're storytellers, we are theatrical people. And this is like why I'm not saying that she's not guilty. And I'm not saying that what she did was not wrong because obviously it's wrong, but I feel like these just small details that are omitted from the larger scale of the historical view of this changes the tone of how we tell people stories oh
1: it's all about the nuance it's all, all about, about the, the nuance. nuance
0: and let's be honest men like many things in their life leave out the nuance uh, what so. is nuance what is what nuance? Is, what, what is nuance is that is... next to the clitoris <laughs> is... <laughs> i'm sorry to upset our many you
1: just came many... <laughs> for all the strength
0: Oh, you, all of the straights. Listen, you all have been on Drag Race now. You can come to Drag Brunch. You want a spot at the table. I'm kidding. I love straight. I love straight people. I've got straight friends. And I'm not heterophobic. <laughs> I
1: got a straight
0: husband, but he's not, like, he's not like most straight men. It's true, Gabe's Gabe's different. We we allow <laughs> we allow him a spot. We love the guy. We love Gabe. Um,
1: he can come by, but, but he can't stay for the whole brunch.
0: <laughs> he can't stay for the whole barbecue, but he can stay for a little bit.
1: Absolutely, he if he can brings get a little appetizer salad. and then he can be <laughs> on his merry <barrel laughs> way. Thank you.
0: Yeah, he leaves before the before the before the good liquor comes out. I'm kidding. I don't want to upset any of our straight listeners. We love you. Uh, you know, again, I, we don't need rev- division of the world. But it, you know, it is. It is a joke. It is a joke. It's very funny. From went to trial in November of 1975, and they pushed it through so fast, which is kind of not shocking for an attempted at assassination of the president, because at the end of the day she held a gun to the abdomen of the president mm-hmm. and if it had have gone off he could have bled out in seconds even Absolutely. with everyone there it's also the 1970s and it was the middle of california and i know everybody in california is just going yeah try try getting anybody there in a couple seconds to help um you know even with Secret service the chances that he would have bled out but intentions tensions
1: back then were so high
0: yep Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, we were in the middle of Cold War. We were worried about Russia. We were worried about Cuba, which was all our own fucking fault, I might add. What had happened before with Manson and his religion and Frome had far from a, um, forgive me, squeaky clean record. Um, (laughs) How dare you? She she reminded me a lot of um, Sheila from the Wild Wild Country documentary on Netflix Tough titties. <laughs> <laughs> Tough, titties. Um, Tough that titties. While, again, at the end of the day, I agree. Mm -hmm. with what she was trying to accomplish at the end of like trying to save California. But like, I can't also agree with the fact that like she sided with the Aryan brotherhood, love Charles Manson through like eugenics and all the crazy bullshit. It's one Mm -hmm. of those things that like in her brain, I absolutely see that she was, she thought she was doing the right thing, but like, I I mean, that's where
1: there's gotta be. I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't researched it. So this is just my thoughts, just my ideas. Yeah. But like there has to be some type of, illness happening there has to be mm-hmm. some type of um different story and narratives playing in your mind that might just not be true and that's what's giving her the fuel and the validation for the yeah. the ways in which she's trying to go about um her end goal because when it comes down to it the ways to change the hardest things mm-hmm. are not easy ways it's mm-hmm. not with A gunshot. It's with policy change. It's with all the hard paperwork that people don't want to do.
0: Well, and it's now we talk about the, like, obviously, clearly, if she was found now, she would have been rescued early on, or they would have tried to. She would have been put through uh, deprogramming. She would have Mm -hmm. been, we would have tried to, you know, in most states, California being a pretty good state, they would have, you know, hopefully tried to get her into some sort of institutional help, you know, Manson would have gotten taken down a lot earlier those kinds of things but I mean we also see like what happened during the Trump elections that like people who know better flock to the thing that they need the most and And it's the loudest and it's the loudest and honestly you know now if she'd been thrown out of her home like you said earlier there would have been so many resources for her but there weren't nobody mm-hmm. gave a shit about young women who left home or anyone that left home in the 1960s. They were all you know, they, they she should have died on the street for all the sense of purposes in an in a OD or something. But like yeah. is would that have been better for her than getting lumped in with Manson? And, you know, she's still alive and well in her 80s today. But it's, you know, so she goes to trial in November of 1975 the prosecutors present over a thousand pieces of evidence from her car and her home just for this. So, you know, and there are a lot of things that extremists tend to keep very incriminating diaries and things. That's the one thing that's never always been fully released is like her personal writings, what Mm. they found. Again, of course, it's not going to because the government also is going to keep things private. Now, granted, I believe it's after 50 years things are supposed to like open up so again I didn't get to do the deepest of dive into this aspect of the trial and it is something that I want to continue to research I ordered like four books off Amazon about it, written from female perspectives about this but um, on November 17th of 1975 she was found guilty of attempted assassination and because of a very recent law because of the Kennedy assassination any making any attempt on the president's life is an automatic felony and she was Mm -hmm. sentenced to life in prison Now, I do think it should be noted that 17 days after Frome's attempt on the president's life, Sarah Jane Moore, a political radical who is also featured in Assassins, would wound the president in San Francisco because he was asked to not... Like, his his whole crew was like, yo, dude, stop. And he's like, I gotta keep touring. I've gotta keep touring. And uh, that was a really bad Nixon. I don't even know what Gerald Ford said. And she... Actively wounded him, and that Sarah Jane's is another completely different story. Um, that now that I'm seeing so much different story about Squeaky Frome, I kind of want to delve into Sarah Jane's story as well. But again, 17 days apart, as the system does work, uh, Frome became eligible for parole in 2005. I do want to. <laughs> Reference that she broke out of prison in the nineties and was moved to prisons, but she finally by the time that like two thousand and five is hitting and laws have changed the way we look at things, she had been moved to a clinical hospital, a like clinical prison hospital, okay. so for like the last fifteen years before she was released from prison, she was receiving psychological help That's and funny. I think that is why the her life is different and how she is still alive today mm. um now, I will say she was eligible for parole in 2005 by federal law. And you have to have a mandatory hearing after 30 years, according to federal law, she waived her right to request a hearing at that time, but they made her do it. They made Mm -hmm. her do the federal law application uh, for parole uh, to be considered. And it was granted. So in July of 2008, Um, She was granted parole, but she wasn't released because she had to serve additional time um, from, Oh, the 1987 prison. It wasn't the nineties. It was the, in 1987, she escaped prison and remained on the lam for a little while. Um, But yeah, it's, so she ended up finally. She they moved her like four different times, but she ended up at the a federal medical prison center in Carswell, and that is where she was released on parole August fourteenth of two thousand nine, and she moved <laughs> to New York State, where she and her long-term boyfriend Robert Waldner, live in a house decorated in skulls.
1: I mean, spooky ooky Spooky
0: ookie, <laughs> spooky ookie, kooky. Two words. Two words. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Many women have played Squeaky Frome in Assassins, one of which is um, Annie Golden, who played Genie slash Chrissy in the hair movie. Uh, and she would play G, uh, Chrissy in the revival of Hair in 1979. Mm-hmm. She would go on to, you know, uh, played uh, Alma in Orange Is the New Black. She was in the Violet Revival. She was just in Broadway Bounty Hunter from Joe Iconis. Oh. She is she's an iconic performer. <sighs> and when you look at what Squeaky Froma looks like now. If you threw glasses on, on any yeah. Golden, they look identical. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, Kendra, we've had some amazing women play Squeaky From over the years. She is a really dynamic performer. And I just want to end with a quote because she did a live television interview in 2019. And they asked her, was she in love with Manson? She said, was I in love with Charlie? Yeah, of course. I still probably am. And that is the story of squeaky from a would be presidential assassin. Uh, Again, there's so much more to her that this only starts to like scrape the surface. Mm. Um, But I found some really great resources through ranker, New York post history.com, all that's interesting. And then the Wikipedia articles for the attempted assassination of Gerald Ford, squeaky from and assassins, the musical. Again, I don't want people to think that I am siding with a political streamist and a white supremacist. Because also in that same interview, she's like, yeah, I, of course I no longer believe what I believed then. But she's like, I still believe we're destroying the planet. And she was like, if I could work to change that, and if I could have gone back and changed that, I would have worked much harder to change our planet. But again... Cult programming is fucked. Anybody that's been in an MLM knows it. Anybody that comes out of a super religious background Mm -hmm. knows this cult programming. Anybody that comes even out of like a hardcore, like dance studio that you were as a kid that monitors your weight and those things, those are all cult programmings. And so we do a lot of things that explain away a lot of things for people who never actually cared about us.
1: And I think also it's just like we as theater makers and artists, always lead with empathy and we mm-hmm. always lead with like a curiosity about why it is that people do what they do yeah and many times either if it's a character that we are becoming or if it's a show we're helping to make and create like the costuming that helps represent who that person is We have to understand every element of that person as to why they make the choices they make. Mm -hmm. And most Mm -hmm. of the time, if it's a character like Squeaky or if it's like any other villainous character, um, we have to become, we have to at least understand to Mm -hmm. some capacity and connect some part of ourselves with that to be able to create like an authentic performance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's, like, icky because we connect with parts of ourselves, like, as, at least as an actor, like, you're connecting with a part of yourself that you're like, I didn't know that was there. And it's scary that I can access that. And some people live in that space forever. And then that that helps to determine what types of decisions they make. Yeah. But at least us as theater makers, we get to, like, shake it off and, and go yeah. and live about our lives it's sad because her mind seemed like it was very critical and, and probably still is of like Mm -hmm. really determined to make a difference. She just Mm -hmm. went down the wrong path of who to turn to.
0: She was such a key player in making sure the family still worked the way that it worked. And Mm -hmm. also probably to keep Charlie uh, or Charles as disconnected as he could from a lot of the crimes Mm -hmm. she's, a genius and it's one of those things in how you use your genius because we think of that only people who are educated can make a true change mm-hmm. but it's truly like think about what if she had been given the resources to succeed what would have happened instead mm-hmm. uh, I think this is a really good time anybody planning your local theater your regional theater your university theater season for next year Assassins is a great piece to look at because there's so much dramaturgically to break down, so much to look at. And there are a lot, a lot of great music. Uh, it's, it is a great show to revisit. So I also want to encourage everybody, as we're revisiting these stories, go... I guarantee a lot of you know Assassins but have never listened to it from top to bottom. So go... And listen to it. Maybe not on Spotify, but wherever you find your music, go go listen to Steven Sondheim's *Assassins*. It I is, mean,
1: Sondheim has basically created a cult himself in his life.
0: He is a huge cult. For, well,
1: well, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like in terms of like people.
0: Oh, I, yeah. Well, his work. Yeah, the Sondheimites. Absolutely, because you have the purists that are like, we don't touch Sondheim.
1: I've never felt so stupid as when I'm talking to someone who's like ho, Like, I love Sondheim, but, like, I just don't know as much about it as some people do. And so when I'm, like, in a conversation with people who do, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have never felt so stupid in my life. I, I love Sweeney
0: Todd. I played Cinderella in Into the Woods once. It's, <laughs> you, I'm always the one in the group going, you know, you guys, Into the Woods, the film just isn't that bad. Uh, but then, like, you bring up company and I will die on any hill. Of my opinion of company, because it is my favorite Sondheim. But I mean, you are correct that it's like we develop our cults and our followings in different ways. And so it's just but also, let's be honest, those people that are going to talk down to you in a group setting about Sondheim are probably straight white musical theater bros. So like,
1: yes, which never age
0: out of being straight white musical theater bros. So, (laughs) yeah.
1: And they're also the ones that talk like, well, you know, they always talk in the back of their throat when they're talking about anything. And I'm like, can you just stop?
0: Uh, yeah, but they're also going to be the ones that like corners you at a party to listen to his rendition of the end of Santa Fe from Newsies, oh. or um, or uh, the end of waving through the window from Dear Evan Hansen. Uh Just listen y- to the purity of my voice in this moment, shut sweetheart. Up, there's Chad. no pure. There's God, Chad. Shut the fuck up. Shut up, Chad. <laughs> Chad, shut the fuck up. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Oh, I feel like every theater girl is just like rolling their eyes and just shaking their heads with us right now. Maybe rattling their iced coffee. So, Oh my, stop it. I'm that bitch. I'm that
1: bitch. Just like a quick little rattle.
0: Oh my God. It's, I love, there's the meme going around. that's like, if you hear, if you see a gay with their iced coffee and you hear a rattle, it's like a rattlesnake before they strike. It's a warning to get out of the way.
1: That is like it's like the conch shell it's like mm-hmm. bringing us all together we're like oh yes. yes
0: yes yeah but uh for anybody that has played squeaky from out there that is listening I would love to hear your stories about what you discovered through your process of the show write in to us on social media let us know yes. uh, what you know about this that I might have left out today or just some of your favorite things about assassins and kind of this aspects of the story that you found researching a character that you found was generally left out of other aspects of the story and thanks for coming on this journey with me again today.
1: Thanks for telling me a beautiful story.
0: Thank you. I can't wait to hear your next story.
1: I know, me too. What's it going to be? I don't even know,
0: right? I don't even no, know. Don't we'll know. leave them in suspense. <laughs> Ooh. If you haven't listened to uh, Emma's last episode where she covers uh, the mysterious death of Natalie Wood, go listen to that now. And if you haven't listened to our first episode where I cover the Belasco ghost story, go find it now. Now don't forget, all of your rating and reviews are your favorite podcatcher. Lets us know that you love what we're doing and it moves us up in the ratings because you know everybody does true crime because they secretly want to be loved by everyone. And I want to be loved by all of you because i I want love love. i want love because i love all of you i love love (laughs) i love love thank you for joining us for today's episode exit stage death is brought to you by dreamer productions this episode was audio engineered and edited by maddie limerick and our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch Podcast.
1: You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death
0: Podcast, on Twitter at Stage death Pod,
1: and send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com.
0: You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app.
1: Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death.